Welcome back to another episode of Attached to Hygiene. This week, we have a slightly different episode format for you. Earlier this year, Bostic held our 2022 internal planning meetings so our team could get together and prepare for the upcoming year. For those meetings, we invited Heidi Beatty, CEO of Crown Abbey, and Natalia Richer, Director of Operations at Diaper Testing International, to join a panel discussion to share some of their insights on the market. And since our team found it so valuable to have these two experts give their own perspectives on the market and answer our questions, we thought their insights would be valuable for all of you as well. So we wanted to share that panel discussion with you today. This episode will sound a little different than our normal interviews, since I will not actually be asking the questions. Instead, Diane Tunin, our global marketing director, moderated the panel. You'll remember Diane from episode five, where she joined us to talk about consistency in disposable hygiene. So with that, we'll wrap up the intro here and dive into the interview. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the disposable hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible product to meet the needs of your consumers. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Natalia Richer and Heidi Beatty to get their perspective on changing market dynamics, consumer needs, industry and market trends, and of course, sustainability in disposable hygiene. Before we play the interview, I want to make one quick request of our listeners. I love making this podcast, and I want Bostic to continue to create the best possible show for the disposable hygiene industry. The best way for us to do that is by getting feedback from you, our listeners. So we'd like to ask all of our listeners to take a quick three-minute survey to share your feedback on the show. You can tell us what you like, what you don't like, and even let us know what you'd like us to cover in future episodes. And as a thank you for filling out the survey, we'll send you our brand new corporate social responsibility white paper. The white paper will cover topics such as the importance of sustainable production and design, responsible manufacturing, the consumer need for safety and transparency, circularity and hygiene, and more. We won't be sharing access to the white paper with anyone else for weeks. So if you want early access, please take three minutes out of your day to complete the survey. To fill out the survey, go to attachedtohygiene.com and click the big button at the top of the page to share your feedback. We'll also share the link for the survey in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. And now we'll get back to the episode. So again, we'll have a great opportunity with this panel to get some external perspectives on the trends and the dynamics um, and share some views of what's happening now and what we might expect to see in the coming years. So I'd like to introduce our panelists. So introducing Natalia. Natalia is a global observant hygiene product consultant and COO of Diaper Testing International, DTI. And DTI provides consulting support to converters and private label owners across the world doing benchmark testing, product benchmark testing, and design assistance globally. And in addition to leading the laboratory services and the market research, Natalia manages consulting with clients in the U.S. focused on new product opportunities, market trends, competitor assessments, and brand strategy. So thank you again so much, Natalia, for joining us. Now to introduce Heidi, CEO and founder of Crown Abbey. 
Heidi has many years of hygiene industry experience, including time at J&J in Europe and the U.S. She has a successful track record as an innovator and a project manager, launching products for some of the world's leading brands, as well as some of the most entrepreneurial startups. And at Crown Abbey, Heidi and her team help a global client base to identify and commercialize new technologies. So I think we're, we're really lucky to have both with us today. Thanks so much. So with all of that as intro, I guess we can jump in. <laughs> so I thought we'd start kind of broadly to ask you to share your view of the disposable hygiene market in general, what trends that you see, what you see as some of the, the maybe longer term impact of the pandemic and then how it might permanently influence our market. So I think globally, we would all say that the, the pandemic logistics issues and volatile material market were all major factors. And also, I think that sustainability was a major focus by producers all across the globe. Maybe, Natalia, I'll start with you. Would you like to comment on your view of the disposable hygiene segment and some of the dynamics that you see? Yes, definitely. We do see a big challenge across all of our clients who are facing raw material cost increases. All our clients that we're currently producing in China or importing from China have been contacting us to help them change their entire supply chain to an American or a NAFTA region supply chain. Even sometimes the European is starting to be a better view for some of our clients that we're producing in China. So definitely for the relationship with China, it has been difficult. But other trends that we see from the pandemic, of course, is a rise in e-commerce and direct-to-consumer brands that I believe is here to stay now that consumer habits have been changing towards being more comfortable buying online. And that's including the adult and continence market and the older folks that have been having to transition to this a new form of buying. Yeah. Heidi, would you like to add any comments? Yeah, thank you. So I, I would completely agree with, with Natalia. And I think what has been interesting in the projects we've been involved with from China is that it's the unexpected things. You know, you, you can plan for maybe non-wovens or the big things, but we deal a lot with the finished product, you know, the one that the consumers actually see. And so at the moment, for instance, even getting paperboard, right, is now we're having to choose which products get paperboard, you know, for their packaging. So those are things that we did not expect. And they just they just keep coming, you know, they haven't really stopped uh, with, with that unexpected um, hits to the timelines. And I think also to the e commerce point, I would completely agree, particularly in our industry, when we look at particularly menstrual products, for instance, you know, it's a, a great model for subscription, it's, a, you know, falls naturally into a monthly uh, monthly cycle literally. So, you know, that actually lends itself very well. And because consumers, you know, don't really want to be in the aisle up and down looking at these embarrassing products, same for Inco. So being able to buy online is is just, I think, lends itself very well to the category. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll see that continue to stay. So if we think about the baby, the feminine care adult Inco market, what other trends do you see? What do, how do you see the consumer needs evolving? What is new, maybe different from five years ago, or how are the new generation, Gen Y and such consumers different in their expectations? Yeah, yeah, um, for sure, as we're all seeing, you know, the reusable 
part of the market is gaining traction. Um, it's probably more noise, more uh, marketing than actual sales and volume at the moment. But for sure, consumers are becoming aware of it and trying it. You know, and I think the that reusable market still has a very long way to go in terms of the technology to bring it to where it needs to be for the consumer. But it's getting there. So I think that openness to trying new things, and of course, all the news on sustainability. COP26 last year, you know, this has driven so much media coverage, so much discussion on, of course, plastics and the environment and sustainability, that the consumers are becoming much, much more educated. And they, they really do want to have a, a level of transparency and understanding of what, what products they're buying and where they're putting their money. Yeah, with um, what you're saying about uh, consumers being more educated, when we're looking at the baby diaper market and parents. Well, we have the most educated generation of mothers in history. Uh, First-time mothers are they're older, they're at a different point in their lifetime than the previous generation. So not only are they older, but they have been in the workforce for longer, they partake in a dual-income household, uh, helping them have higher disposable income at the time of the first child than their mothers did. So even though there's declining birth rates, this change in dynamic of education, of disposable income of first-time parents is driving a more premium market for baby diapers especially. So these these moms, they have access to information, to mom groups, to medical and product advice. Um, they can shop from their smartphone. Very different generation than uh, Gen X and baby boomers. So this is driving rise in premium products. Parents are demanding the best for their babies rise in ingredient transparency that I think we also see across the menstrual uh, hygiene market as well. Uh, greener and cleaner products. Definitely big change, I would say, from, from even five years ago, but especially from 10 years ago. What do you think we'll see as we, as we go forward? Continuing of those same trends or any, any new trends that you're expecting? Well, the Gen C, which is a you know, it's not really an review yet, but as they they enter our market, they are more comfortable with with sharing information, with buying online. They're not scared of data privacy as much as millennials and Gen X. So we we can see a shift, hopefully, I, I think, and maybe a smart diapers in. Um, systems that can help us track data for usage of diapers especially. And in the adult incontinence as well, if we're looking at uh, smart diapers, that is uh, something that can bring a huge amount of benefits for the bedridden patients. So the moment that we have smart diapers, and there are already some in, in, in Europe and test markets in the United States, where we can tell ahead of time uh, the usage situation of each diaper, if it has been wetted, the percentage that it has been used, so it can help nurses provide more efficient workflow in the hospital and attend clients the way that they need to be attended instead of just on the hour because, you know, like a certain amount of hours has passed, so let's wake everyone up, let's change everyone at the same time, so it can provide a lot of more efficiency to hospitals and uh, to the care that is needed. Yeah, Absolutely. So if we move toward some of the product trends, features and, and expectations on the products, as well as some of the needs maybe that they're addressing, whether they're consumer or whether there's something the producers are trying to do. So 
Natalia, um, maybe you could start with sharing um, some of the, the trends that you're seeing in the, the product materials design side. Definitely. And um, I'll focus more on uh, baby diapers and adult incontinence products. For everyone here, I have a diaper testing laboratory here in Houston. So we receive thousands of different products and prototypes from around the world. Uh, so we, we're able to see what the different product changes are that we can expect. So let's see some of the, the product trends that we have been seeing. One of the biggest ones that is more on the technical side is uh, diaper course. Uh, that have channels. So something that used to be proprietary only for Procter & Gamble products. Now, a lot of converters have expanded to being able to provide this option as well, especially European manufacturers. We see Abina, Ontex, Drylog, they have all come up with their own version of channels that doesn't infringe the Procter & Gamble patent. So they're they're becoming available in the market as we speak. And this change in the core that once you the core has channels, it allows the diapers to be thinner at times, to have a higher sap to fluff ratio. Uh, they oftentimes have better pad integrity, so they sag less. Another trend that we're seeing a lot is diaper pants. And that's something that had been happening in Asia for, for a long time, right? But uh, in the United States, uh, it's growing as well a bit slower than in Asia, but definitely something that we see. And especially in mature markets, like in the United States and in Europe, we're seeing these uh, diaper pants start cannibalizing the open tape diaper design that has existed in this market for so long, compared to in India and in emerging markets where they've been able to start the, the market penetration from the beginning with diaper pants. And we have consumers that you know, started this way since the beginning or even since the beginning of the baby's life. So a, a newborn that will start with diaper pants, unlike in the United States where they transition typically at potty training age, but that is slowly changing. Another product uh, feature that we're seeing more is uh, anything that has to do with convenience, really uh, having wetness indicator, even brands like Honest, that have very beautiful designs on the outside of the diapers, so very beautiful patterns. And for the longest time, didn't have a wetness indicator. Now has transitioned this year to offering that at the expense of it being less pretty, let's say. But when we look at uh, diapers in India, there's a new brand that got launched uh, last year that is Nine Diapers. And even though we, we know that in India, the disposable income of the market is much more limited, we still see them launching with these premium features that are geared towards convenience, like uh, the wetness indicator or a disposable tape to wrap around the diapers, the, the diaper pants. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really, really exciting time, uh, right? So we, we because there's a lot of change and because, as Natalia was saying, we have these big private label manufacturers who are really innovating in their space, whether it be diapers or uh, for menstrual products or uh, adult incontinence. So they are launching these products, which means that the smaller brands can buy them as a private label, right? So as they, they can actually go and, and get these products and be really have have great technology already out of the gate. 
which of course is completely different. You know, I used to work at J&J, as you said, and back then we didn't worry too much about the smaller brands because they didn't have access to the technology or to the production lines, and now they do. So what we're finding is, you know, a lot of our clients come from from that base, from the smaller brands, and, you know, they're, they're pretty pretty advanced in, in the way they are approaching the market. So I really think that they are not only to be watched, but also to be partnered with, right, these smaller smaller brands, because they, they're bringing some new marketing ideas, but also with the technology. And maybe to talk a little bit about Inco, I think we're also starting to see not just the traditional pads and uh, pull-ups, but also um, now devices. There are more devices coming onto the market. And as, as we're allowed to use, you know, words like clitoris and periods and, you know, all these different things, vaginas that we, we couldn't use before for some strange reason, it's, it's really opened up that ability to market those products and explain properly how they, they actually work, which, of course, helps with that transparency and also the reason to believe. So, yeah, I think devices, although it's not part of the non-woven world, is something to be to be watched as well, because, of course, they'll partner up with pads and liners um, and pull-ups. So it could be very, very interesting to look at the synergies between those different products. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a lot of new material, new um, entrants there. It's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and I do I do love the language, like being comfortable now with the language. It was a necessary change. I grew up in Mexico and I, I still remember all the ads of saying, you know, for those days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's great to be able to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great points for sure. So we had a couple of questions that are starting to come in from the group. There was one question around how far we are into using some of those sensors, um, Natalia, that you mentioned in adult diapers to track certain aspects of the health of the user. So get more information, maybe even than um, just that the product's wet needs to be changed. Do either of you have any, any perspective on that? I know that there are already lots of uh, hospitals in Europe that have been using the Abina Nova sensors. So it, it's a diaper that has a printed adhesive line, uh, various adhesive lines across the entire diaper core. And because of that, it's not just at one point that they detect uh, humidity, but rather across the entire core. And that way they can say, okay, there's an 80% utilization of this core. So it's at capacity, the diaper needs to be changed or something yeah. like that. Or, or it has been wet for, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And this is a level of urgency that it requires to be attended. But definitely they're already out in the market. I just believe that they're going to become a, at a bigger scale soon. Yeah, and I also think um, they're going to be more medical and healthcare based, even in the consumer market. So obviously urine can tell us a lot about our health, whether it's for the baby or for adults, but also menstrual fluid, right? It's a completely untapped area, um, which we're starting to see some papers come through and some research on now. Um, but menstrual blood can tell you a lot about uh, the woman and her fitness and her health. Um, and it's, you know, literally thrown away every month. And it's something that, that could be utilized much, much more as a non-invasive way to, uh, to, to check on health. Yeah, for sure. And Natalia, you talked a little bit about some of the interesting design elements and that unboxing experience and the dynamics there at Hygienics. Maybe you could share a little bit on, on that with the group. They might find that really interesting. 
Yeah, we're seeing um, a lot of changes in, in the box, but also in the unboxing experience. So the, what the consumer gets to experience when they receive these products, especially from direct to consumer brands that need to build a value proposition that it's a little bit higher than what you would buy at retail. So when they're selling subscription service or e-commerce through direct to consumer we see a lot of companies push a more premium experience where the unboxing itself, it's a, it's a very nice experience. If we look at, for example, Kudos, they launched their diapers this year, actually. They have a 100% cotton top sheet. So it's a, the only diaper that has 100% cotton, at least. I, I think in Asia there are some, but at least in the United States, they're the first. And the the diapers will arrive not even in, uh, so, so they're, they're in a box, but they're not wrapped in a film. So removing kind of that element of, oh, there's plastic in my diapers, which a lot of the more eco-conscious consumers appreciate. And I, I saw some as well in the adult incontinence where they're kind of manually wrapped. So, of course, it's very expensive for these brands, but they get to build this branding. Yeah. We also see more paper packaging, and that's coming to the U.S. very soon. Diaper, so Diaper, the brand with a Y, D-Y-P-E-R, they already launched their paper packaging. And in Europe, we see Drylock, Abina, Ontex as well. They all have their versions of paper packaging. So it's going to be exciting to see that grow as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with that. And for instance, I, I just, it's not in this industry, but I just received a new, it's a new brand for um, deodorant for refills. And it came without any extra packaging. So they literally just use paper tape to uh, to bind the, the products together, stuck a label on the outside of that for the for the shipping. And that's how it arrived. So I, I am a tree hugger. So that, that may be very exciting. <laughs> uh, but I think for even even average, you know, normal consumers, when you get all these Amazon boxes, and now you've got Amazon paper, and, you know, all of this extra stuff that you now have to get rid of, it's actually really, really difficult. So I think, you know, even if you're not, you know, super tree huggy like me, it's going to be important to to remove as much packaging as possible um, so that you just don't have to deal with it just for that convenience aspect for the end of life. Right, exactly. It's the experience, if nothing else, of having to to pull apart the boxes and, and recycle them and deal with them as well. Exactly. Unless it's going to do something something different and become a toy for your child or something, then it's a little different. Yeah. Not like the Hello Bello boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're getting a bunch of questions coming in um, now. Um, so maybe I'll do a few of those before we go on and talk about sustainability a little bit. There were some questions on Channel Core around the benefit that it gives to the consumer versus the the other cores. What can be said on diaper performance, absorption speed, rewet, core utilization, integrity compared with a regular core? Is there really a benefit from the channels? Well, that, that can be up for debate in some ways because due to the channel structure, they do have, once a channel has been activated, it does help towards um, moving the liquids across. So the, the speed of acquisition 
typically is greatly improved with channels, but it can also be a drawback in the sense that once the channels are activated and they create these little rivers that can be pretty fast flowing, they can also lead to more leakages. This is one of the situations where I believe that we need to test with real consumers and not so much the lab tests that are not going to be as, as relevant to how the baby moves. But what we can see is that it allows typically the products to be a lot thinner, to have a lot less fluff, which can be a more modern look instead of the traditional diaper core that can be quite bulky. Uh, they also help a lot with pad integrity, especially if, if a sufficient amount of adhesives are used throughout the channel formation. But mostly we see that the channels help the diaper core retain its structure uh, and not sag as much and not get bumpy as typically you can get fluff, blump, I don't know what you would call it, just blobs yeah. of, of fluff that get created. Yeah. It can also help toward the rewet uh, value simply just because once the channels are activated, the surface area that, that the skin is uh, touching is decreased as the, the, the lower valleys, let's say, of the core are not touching the skin, so it reduces how often your skin is touching the wet components. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. That's a good overview. Heidi, there was a question on um, reusable absorbent underwear for menstruation about how the products are going in the market. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about how the market acceptance has been and the pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's super interesting because We've, we've developed some of those products and, and launched them for our clients. And of course, from our perspective, we always talk about them as reusable. But from a consumer perspective, they just see them as underwear, right? So, yeah, sure. yeah. Um, so you know, when you look at sort of backwards and think from, from their perspective. And so I think that acceptance, of course, is a, a hurdle for them to get over that. How can it be possible that a product absorbs and then you can wash it and then it can absorb again? You know, it sort of uh, defies logic. Um, but once you're over that barrier, then I think the acceptance is 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 high, and and I think the brands can focus on more of the fashion and the fit, and you know, feeling sexy, um, and not having to think about your period. And I also think they've done a good job of not just targeting women. You know, the way that we traditionally have, have thought about, you know, as we've always in the past called it fem high, which we can, you know, no longer is is the right approach to to naming. This category, because as we all know, not all women menstruate and not all menstruators are women. So I think they have jumped in um, already with that mindset, which I think has been very, very smart. But on the other hand, you know, the technology, as I mentioned before, isn't quite where it needs to be yet. A lot of the products can only be washed 25 times um, before they lose their efficacy. Many of them can't be put in the dryer because they have a TPU backsheet, which would melt. <laughs> so that's not very yeah. helpful. And, you know, and also they're not as absorbent as a, as a disposable product, right? Because they don't have the, the sap, they don't have the thickness to, to allow for that in the technology. But I think all of that will come, right? The innovation will come through. I think non-wovens will pay a part in that as well. So I think it, it is it is an exciting time. We're also starting to see other products like, you know, reusable panty liners um, and menstrual products and breast pads, you know, it, it goes then through the line because once the consumer is over that hurdle of washing the product and reusing it, then you can really expand out to other other areas. Do you have a feel for the penetration level at this point of? No, not. I, no, we don't have a whole lot of market 
data. That's not really sort of the area we, we play in. We're more in the development and designing of the product. But what I can tell you is a lot of, you know, our clients are looking for these products to go alongside their disposable. So it's not that brands are either reusable or disposable. And I think if I would say as part of a trend for this year and, and moving forward is that brands are not focusing on the eco warriors anymore. They're really looking at mass market and bringing that consumer along with them on the journey to be you know, more sustainable, more environmentally friendly. But because they're not tree huggers, they have to talk about it in a very different way. <laughs> yeah, great point. And a good segue, I think. So maybe we'll move on to how you see the sustainability demands from consumers impacting the disposable hygiene market. I think many times it seems very divergent for us. You know, there's a lot of different products being considered, whether they're looking at the beginning of life or the end of life and looking at recycling versus composting versus different end of life options as well. So yeah. Maybe, Heidi, do you want to continue with kind of your train of thought there? Yeah, yeah. I actually um, wanted to to talk about, I'm based here in the UK, and Tesco's, uh, you know, our big brand uh, supermarket is really, really interesting. And I think really changing the end of life opportunities. So they have done a couple of things. In store, they now have loop products, you know, so you can, instead of having them shipped to your door, which was really, really difficult from a consumer concept perspective, you can just go to Tesco's and buy your loop, your refillable packaging. Um, so it's much, much easier. You can also now bring back all of your soft plastic. So anything, any plastic that you can't recycle at home, you know, on the curbside recycling, you can bring to Tesco stores and they will recycle it. So your chip packets, your wipes film, your, you know, everything, everything that is um, is plastic can now go back to the store and they will deal with it. So it's bypassed the horrendous infrastructure that we all struggle with, right? Yeah. So I think the reason a lot of our innovation has been stalled is because we have the technologies to be biodegradable or recyclable or whatever, but there was no infrastructure at the end of life to make that happen. But the other point is that Tesco has banned compostable and biodegradable plastic because what they're saying is that no normal consumer can deal with those products. And I do compost, as you can imagine. But, you know, when I put these things into my compost, it doesn't uh, degrade quickly. You know, it's more than a, more than a year. So it, it, it's of no use to me at all. And, and there is no industrial composter. You know, I can't drive to an industrial composter and drop off my, my compostable packaging. So Tesco has banned that altogether, which I thought was a really interesting step. Yeah, absolutely. Natalia, would you like to add a bit? Yeah, the newer generation, of course, has sustainability as one of the priorities. But when it comes to putting money to that or, or even inconvenience, because a lot of times uh, throughout the years, products that have been more sustainable have been associated with also being more inconvenient to the user, be it because you have to wash or because maybe you need to, um, if you're using viscose, for example, and the top sheet is going to retain moisture, is going to feel wetter, is going to be more uncomfortable. So the difference between having the traditional polypropylene uh, top sheet versus having a viscose top sheet is going to come with ramification for, for, for skin health and, and comfort. So when it comes to our, to our consumers, especially in the adult incontinence and baby diaper market, diaper performance and especially leakage protection continues to be the key driver in consumer preference. So if you're going to be 
uh, providing something that's more sustainable, but at the expense of having more leakages or being more wet, uh, consumer adoption is not going to be as widespread. It's going to be, a, as Haiti says, just for the, the tree huggers, which is a very niche market, like the very eco-conscious market. I also find that consumers are not that well trained, at least in the United States, to really discuss environmental impact, uh, life cycle analysis of changing different procedures in the creation of a, of a diaper. So true sustainability, I think, matters more to the corporate level, to Walmart, to Target, to large corporations that are meeting carbon emission targets, rather than consumers that are willing to shoulder the cost or the inconvenience of a more sustainable option. The Kudos CEO actually defined it really well. I liked what she said. Uh, her name is Amrita Segal. And um, she calls it elegant sustainability. That's the way to go, where there is no compromise to the end user and the product is stylish, it's yeah. simple, and it's just as well performing, if not better. And that's what our market needs. Absolutely. Good. Um, there was a question on Latin America, Natalia. So how do you see the sophistication of the hygiene products in Latin America compared to that of the developed countries? Do you think those markets will be at the same level of sophistication or features in the future? Definitely, uh, but but maybe slower. For example, there's still some sort of preference for the for the diaper core that is thicker. Uh, you know, the consumer mindset in Latin America is still geared towards the that if it's thicker, it's more absorbent, is better, and is prevalent across feminine hygiene products, but also baby diapers. I know Familia in Colombia launched, I think about two years ago, launched a higher sap to fluff ratio product that's a lot thinner. And um, there were some setbacks from the market where they weren't used to that type of new product that is thinner, thinking that, oh, they're charging me the same amount, but they're giving me like a thinner, cheaper product when that was not the case at all. But the innovation is going to be there is just probably slower to adopt from the consumer market. But we're also seeing a, a more diaper pants uh, there as well. So definitely innovating. Yeah, absolutely. Another question, um, a hot topic for us is, of course, we see companies making CSR commitments and taking steps to reduce their emissions or become carbon neutral all across the world. And that's something we at Bostic Arkema are really active in as well and talk a lot about. And if there's anything else you would comment um, on that side of instead of the product side on the yeah, I, I get very passionate about this. You know, I used to work at J and J in in the US, and you know they had a big solar uh, farm back back then. You know, decades ago, and you know I don't think the consumer necessarily cares when they're buying a Johnson's baby uh, shampoo or whatever that that J and J had a, a a solar farm, but the consumer needs to trust that the the brand is doing everything they can in terms of the you know sustainability and, and environment but what i'm really excited about is i've seen in one of the presentations i think it's in scander one of the the retailers they have an app the same way as you know when you go to tesco's and you can see what you've just bought um and you can you know keep track of your receipts and and your weekly shopping and all of that good stuff now this retailer has added on your greenness. So basically every time you do a shop every, every week, you, you can walk out of the store and you have a dashboard on your app that basically shows you whether you were green, amber or red in each of different LCA type areas, which means you can be a little more 
competitive with yourself about whether you're doing well. But the reason I like it is because if you're say, a typical consumer, you can just look and say, oh, okay, you know, I was kind of green and amber this week. And if you had a red, you might you might click into it and say, okay, what what drove me to be red this week? But the more the more eco-conscious you are, you can really then dive in and say, okay, I'm not going to buy these amber products anymore. Here's the research. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to switch to these products. So it allows that different layers um, and allows the consumer to be really, really involved um, in, in their consumer purchasing. And we're starting to see articles over in Europe where carbon counting will start to become as common as calorie counting. You know, that that's the analogy. And for sure, it's not, not in the US yet. But I think that could be um, something, again, you know, the same way you get competitive about your calories can start to be, you know, competitive about your carbon emissions as well, which I think could be very interesting. Yeah, interesting. Definitely. We have a long way to go in the United States. (laughs) I live in North Houston and my, like I I bought a house here and my neighborhood doesn't recycle. So if I want to recycle all my Amazon boxes, I need to put them in my car, drive 20 minutes to directly to the recycling. And, and then when I consider my own personal life cycle analysis of, of, of this process, uh, including the trip, then I even wonder if it's worth it. So uh, until we have a better collection system in the United States, it just seems like like a dream for now. I think you know what. So I lived for you know a decade or more in in the US, in in mostly in New Jersey, and we moved back to the UK nearly six years ago. And I was really interested to see that difference because I'd never bought a house in the UK, I'd never been a grown up in the UK. You know, doing all that sort of parenting and and big grown up adult things to do. But I think from the US, you always feel that everybody else is doing better. But, you know, I, I discovered that where I was in the UK, my all of my trash was going to landfill. And then, of course, we had the news hit that all of our recycling was going to wherever, you know, Portugal and just being dumped on the street. You know, so as a consumer, it is super depressing um, that there isn't any good infrastructure, which is why I'm so excited that the retailers are starting to say, OK, if the infrastructure doesn't exist, we will build it so that we can continue to innovate and, and to meet our own uh, goals, because I don't see any government, any local councils, any you know local jurisdictions doing a better job, to be honest. Yeah, that's a huge. So don't feel bad, Natalia. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. There was a related question: um, What are the panelists' view on the end of life of disposable hygiene articles? How can companies overcome the concerns that absorbent hygiene product waste is increasing? If I can jump in on this, we see it as two different roads for for responsible end-of-life disposal, one being composting and one being recycling, neither of which the infrastructure is in place for this. But, uh, but even then focusing on these two different roadmaps, they require very different types of products, of course, where the composting requires uh, the most amount of plant-based um, fibers and and the product and and almost no use or as little and limited use of plastics or traditional plastics, whereas recycling is the opposite, right? And not only is it the opposite in which we require the most amount of plastic in the product so that it can be recycled, but uh, streamlining it so that it's only coming from one type of plastic or um, one type of resin would be that ideal so that it increases the value of the recycled um, 
byproduct, let's say. So instead of having a blend of polyethylene and polypropylene and polyester, if the entire diaper could be made out of only polyethylene or only polypropylene, then we're we're going to have better incentives to recycle and and better sales value of the recycled material. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the the hard thing because again, all these recycling technologies exist. Um, I am concerned that for composting, you know, we're not bringing any nutritional value back to the soil. So really, if if we're developing as R and D innovators, if we want to develop a compostable material. We should be thinking about what is going to be grown in that soil, right? What that compost is going to turn into afterwards, because it's not good enough just to say it degrades. It needs to, you know, give something back as well. So I think for the the recycling piece, the the tough thing, of course, is that the wetness, right? So the the most amount of energy you need is to drive off the liquid. So I think that even getting energy from waste, you know, at the sort of the the lowest level circularity um, is still problematic because of that and and the infrastructure for sure. Mm -hmm. Natalia, have you seen hygiene producers making changes? You mentioned this a little bit earlier, some of the introductory comments, but based on the chaotic material, logistics, economic environment that we've been in over the pandemic in the last months and, and year and continue to see. Yeah, definitely. With the supply chain interruptions, the rising cost of raw materials, this month alone, we've already received two requests of uh, brands that are asking us to help them optimize uh, diaper design to help mitigate uh, these these changes in, in transportation costs and raw materials. While some brands have been able to afford sacrificing their margins and kind of hoping for the best, hoping that this isn't going to last, most of them are pushing towards changing their an element of their supply chain, whether it's a conversion moving from China to the United States, or whether it's uh, changing to lower GSM fabrics, optimizing the sap fluff ratio in the diaper core, or the ADL, decreasing the GSM of the ADL. So even premium brands that have been enjoying this premium standing in the United States are, are coming to us to make these changes that they need to do in order to survive now. Yeah. And I, I would add to that, just the innovation pipeline is just so much longer, right? So if it's, you know, if we're placing POs for normal production and they're going from three months to nine months lead time in some cases, which is just insane, that's just for normal production. So trying to then put in a, an innovation pipeline alongside that, people don't want to be breaking into their production because it's now so valuable. You know, they've just got to get product out the door and onto a boat. So that innovation, I think, has we've certainly seen has reduced. We're still running innovation projects, um, but the time to get them through is is definitely, definitely longer. Yeah, I can see that. There was a, a related question that came in. Um, one of the biggest challenges I think the diaper industry faces is a complete inability to pass through their raw material cost increases to their customer. Do the panelists think this paradigm will be resolved in the future? Could sustainable needs help drive this? 
Well, Procter & Gamble, they shared that they had to increase the prices. Um, sometime last year, they did this uh, share. But I think it was just yesterday that they announced that they will continue to have to increase prices of specific products, and diapers was among them. So a certain amount of it can be passed on, uh, but I think it's it's obviously very hard. And for the direct-to-consumer brands, it's especially hard where they were already feeling like they were charging a premium for these products and um, they don't feel like they're at a place to increase the prices. Yeah, I think that's a major dilemma for all of us all the way through the chain, for sure. I think it's, as, as always, as we've always said, it, you know, it's only through innovation, adding adding higher value claims that we can break out of that because, you know, commoditizing the market doesn't help anybody, including the consumer. Right. But but certainly any of the supply chain. So looking to that innovation for that new approach is always going to be important. Yeah, great. So I can't believe we're coming toward the end of our time here. Maybe one last question um, for each of you to comment on um, pulling out your crystal ball. What do you see as as major dynamics that we might see in 2022 or the next three to five years? Um, and anything you'd suggest material suppliers like us consider based on what you're predicting? Heidi, you want to start us out? Yeah, so the one thing that I haven't mentioned so far is I, I'm pretty excited about men because I've spent a lot of my career developing products for, for women. But now with incontinence, you know, we finally get to make products for men and not just, you know, giving them the women's products and, and telling them to make do, but really innovating for them as well. And I, of course, I'm seeing a lot more in terms of men's only brands as well. And I think that will only increase. So it's a little bit different to what we've been talking about today. Yes. But yeah, no, I'm pretty excited that as a whole, whole new opportunity for innovation. That's great. Thanks. I think that the low birth rates for for babies will continue, but uh, the adult incontinence market is going to, again, continue to, to make up for these changes that we see. Baby pants will continue to cannibalize baby diaper sales in the United States. Adult incontinent underwear will continue on the growth. I think that as millennial women enter the incontinence market uh, post-birth, they're going to start bringing some of the demands that have been brought onto the menstrual hygiene products with them, including more sustainable or cleaner ingredients and options for and, and diaper design of adult incontinence products, but at a slower rate, obviously. And then there's going to be a continued push towards end of life cycle solutions. This is something that has to happen. And in the meantime, it's going to be focusing on more plant-based materials on the diaper, which is kind of the the easy solution to clean up a little bit of the um, supply chain. But but the true solution is the one that we need to find instead of this Band-Aid of uh, putting 20% cotton blend into something. We need the, the real solution. Yeah. And, and maybe also to say in terms of ages and stages that, that we've always been used to seeing in diapers you know i think now we're seeing a lot more in uh, menopause perimenopausal and, and menopausal products as well a lot more discussion you know and it's another sort of topic that we've never really been open about but i think that's now it's being discussed more and more and i think the products specifically for perimenopause and menopause are gonna gonna become more more important too very good. So I really appreciate all of the discussion that you've had with the group. And thanks so much for joining us and enriching our forum with your comments. Thank you, Diana. It was great to... seeing you, Heidi. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Next week, we'll have two people from the Bostic team in Asia Pacific joining us to discuss some of the dynamics and trends in that market. Hopefully, you will all remember that we did two similar episodes for the Europe, Middle East, and Africa markets in late 2021. And those have actually turned out to be two of our most popular episodes. Since you all appreciated those two episodes so much, we wanted to offer our perspective on one of the other major regions in the world, the Asia-Pacific region. So we look forward to bringing you those episodes in the coming weeks. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic, and it's hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd also like to extend a special thank you to our guests for today's episode, Heidi Beatty and Natalia Richer, as well as our moderator, Diane Tunin. Heidi, Natalia, and Diane are all active on LinkedIn, so we encourage you to connect with them and follow them there for updates on their work and the market. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.